The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I am your co-host today. I'm not just Brinson's sidekick today. I'm the co-host. And today we have an awesome show because since the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. It still is unbelievable to say that. Uh, We have an awesome show because we are going to rehash the Bengals' prior trips to the Super Bowl. And we brought on two very, very special guests uh, the only Bengals player in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Anthony Munoz, is here to talk about uh, Super Bowl memories in this year's Super Bowl team. And we also have my dad, the Bengals' all-time leading scorer, Jim Breach, to talk about the prior Super Bowls. Ed McPherson, everything we're going to touch on this year's Bengals team. We're going to touch on the Bengals' teams of Super Bowl past. Uh, we're going to touch on everything. I promise. Anthony, first, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I tell you what, not only am I thrilled to be on the show with you two, but as you mentioned, we got the all-time leading scorer. We got my good friend, my golf coach, uh, Jim. <laughs> it's, it's good to be on with you, man. We're and, here, and too. And, well, Dad, thanks for coming on, although I would have been kind of heartbroken if you had, if you had said no to me. <laughs> well, yeah, if Anthony come on and not me, you still would have been okay. Well, it's worth pointing out, by the way, John Breach is so used to me doing the intro that, that you didn't even say, hi, this is John Breach. Uh, but we, we said, hey, do you think your dad would do the podcast? You're like, absolutely. And then Jim was like, hey, would you like to have Anthony Munoz on as well? And we we're like, yes, 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 we would for the uh, the Bengals of the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I'm curious what, you know, just from your guys' perspective, like how this is, how this run because it feels like it it changes everything. I mean, you know, getting to the playoffs is great, but the way Joe Burrow handles himself and the way that the Bengals have just tra- like it's it's like a different team and a different franchise. It's like a throwback to when y'all were playing that this team like has this aura about it, this confidence that it, maybe it didn't have over the last few years. Is that is that a real thing kind of rolling through the franchise in the city? I I'll just say something real quick. I had a buddy of mine, high school buddy been texting me and he's like, you know, congratulations. I'll have to root for the, the Rams. And I said, well, it's good. You're going to be rooting for the second place team. And <laughs> so I've been going back and forth and he said, well, you know, the Titans gave it to the Bengals and the Chiefs gave it to the Bengals. He goes, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And I said, wait, wait. I said, I said, luck had nothing to do with it. This team is good. It's got some great camaraderie and it has some resilience and some grit. I said, it has, it has to do with beating the Titans and the Chiefs. And that's what's been so fun about this team is they're not only exciting to watch, man, but they're never out of a game. You know, to that point, I, I don't remember a, probably going back to our teams in the 80s where we had teams that were just mentally tough. You know, you see the Steelers somehow, how they get in the playoffs this year, you don't know, but somehow they, they, they're they mentally tough. They find a way to win or the Baltimore Ravens in, in our division or New England, New England, I mean, they, they should never have gotten down, you know, gotten back to the, as close as they did against the Rams, but somehow they find a way. And that's what this team, this team is mentally tough, unlike any team that Marvin Lewis had previously. This team is, it perseveres, yeah. and they make adjustments, and they're just tough. And and every time, you, you expect them to lose, and every time they turn around, <laughs> and make huge yeah. plays. And I think yeah. the one best the thing is 
the defense has stepped up. It hasn't been just the offense. Yeah. It's really the defense. Yeah, exactly. Stepping up late in games has made a huge difference. Well, yeah, it's amazing, Jim. You mentioned, you know, the um, the confidence. It's just amazing. People ask me before the Raiders playoff game, they say, so what about the lack of playoff experience with this team? I said, it doesn't matter. I said, the way I look at these guys are so confident in themselves and so confident in themselves as a team that they're just out there having fun. And like you said, they're, they just believe they can win. And kind of on that note real quick, let me ask you this, and you guys can both answer this. And I'll ask you first, Anthony, was there a specific game this year that you watched and you thought, wow, this team could play with anyone? You know, maybe they're not a Super Bowl contender just yet, but maybe this team's a lot better than I think everyone thought they were. You know, it's funny because you, Jim knows I do the preseason games and I'm down at camp several times. And I went down about two or three times. And this was in camp. And usually – I look at just interaction. I look kind of enthusiasm and what they're doing. I left after doing the preseason games and somebody, and I was reading, people are saying, well, this team might win four or five games. I've been saying since August that this team was capable of winning 10 games. I just saw something special with these guys. I didn't know what 10 games would get them. I didn't think, I mean, I wasn't thinking Super Bowl, but I really believed when I saw them that they had put together pieces where they could compete with anybody in the league. And I think during the, the season, even though they had, you know, they went to the Jets and, and there's certain games, but they'd always come back and, and beat teams that they shouldn't. So I felt that they could play with just about anybody and beat any team during the season, watching them throughout the season. To pick a specific game, I would say the first Baltimore game when they scored 41 points on them, because you have to beat the teams in your division and they beaten Pittsburgh, but, you know, they beat Pittsburgh at the end of last year. And Pittsburgh offensively was really struggling. But Baltimore was, you know, they're, they're leading the AFC at that, you know, pretty much at that point. And the Bengals just blew them out of the stadium, in their stadium. And at that point, I'm thinking, this team is for real. Yeah, I mean, and they they swept the Ravens too. Also took down the Chiefs at the end of the season, and I think that's you know that obviously has confidence when you go and match up against the Chiefs again in the AFC Championship game. Anthony, I'm curious your like you know your thoughts on not just what happened in the AFC Championship game and Jim, of course, you too, but like also the what was really impressive. I believe you mentioned Anthony the the adjustments you see from the defense and sort of what they're doing. Like they completely changed what kind of defense they were playing against Mahomes at halftime. Like Lou Anarumo did like flip the game script all over Mahomes, and he he had they scored three points. They had one drive over twenty yeah. yards. Um, how what was that like watching it as a, as someone who roots for the Bengals? And you know, does that sort of schematic adjustment? Do you think that I mean that's something that this 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 team has in its pocket well right? yeah I mean it's done it not just that game and Jim Jim made the comment it wasn't just the offense so much attention is paid to Joe Burrows and Jamar Chase and Boyd and Higgins but I mean in an AFC championship game you're ahead in your home stadium and Jim knows as well as I do how tough Arrowhead Stadium can be to play in and to come out and to for Mahomes to throw for 80 yards I mean it, that that was just a stellar I mean performance by the defense and sure again like I said you got to score points to win the game but when you hold an offense like that to 80 yards passing you know kudos to to, to Lou and the defense and the, I mean the pass rush which the first half I don't know about you Jim but I'm sitting there the first half to myself <laughs> going where is the pass rush? Yeah, really. where is the pass rush? <laughs> come on you can't let them sit there all day long and, throw. and then the second half man they they had them flustered. They were putting pressure, and the coverage was amazing. Just the adjustments they made was so much fun to watch. You know, the thing I got took from that was you make an adjustment like that, you have to be disciplined. And what you shows is they have really smart guys that are all on the same page, and they, and they respect what's going on with the defensive coordinator. I mean, they're making an adjustment that is kind of unusual. We're going to rush three guys. We're going to have one spy. <laughs> And then we're going to see, we're going to basically drop eight and it's probably going to give more time to throw. And we're still going to go play and give up 80 yards passing three points. Unbelievable. And, and the play that um, Sam Hubbard made toward the end of the game where he was spying and he oh. just go, he just flies up the field and ends up knocking the ball loose from Mahomes. I mean, it was a great job on Anna Rumo's play uh, in, his, in his case, but also in the way the defense 
the way they played so consistently. It, it looked like Jesse Bates borderline tipped that ball, like he almost did. purposely tipped it to Eli. Yeah. Who did Eli Apple who intercepted it? Von Bell. Or Von Bell. Von Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I maybe. believe he did. Because if you if you look at it, he just kind of tips it back because he I'm sure he saw Bell running toward him. And I guarantee you these guys do tip drills all the time. And defensive yep. players are constantly practicing that. Because like the way he did it was like between the receiver's hands, it was almost like a like you're setting it up in volleyball and you watch the replay, you're like, did he mean to tip? Yeah. Like, that's a crazy heads up play, if so. Yeah, and he he hasn't gotten near the credit he should have for that play. Yeah, and you mentioned Eli Apple, Brenton. He was someone who struggled, but he also made, you know, one of the biggest plays of the game right before halftime when he tackled Tyree Kill. Uh, you know, I told Brinson on Monday, the day after the game, that I would if the Chiefs score a touchdown there, uh, I put a fork in the Bengals season. I was just I, no confidence in them coming back from 28 to 10. So what, what were you guys kind of thinking there with, you know, the first half, the Chiefs just moving up and down the field with no trouble? Yeah, for me, I, I mean, that was a big play. But I had, as someone watching the Chiefs, I had no problem with them trying to go for it because everybody's like, they should have kicked them. I said, because you're doing anything you want in the first half, I thought that I thought that was a good call, man. Little did I know that, you know, any of us know that the three points would be the difference if they kicked it. But I had no problem with them going for it. I mean, the play that they ran, maybe, but not the fact that they went for it. Yeah, that was pretty amazing that he didn't throw the ball into – if he throws, yeah. they have to make a quick throw, five seconds, a quick throw. Then they can kick the field goal if they want to. Yeah. But he throws a wide pass that, and then and then tries to call timeout with no timeouts left too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, and Andy Reid. <laughs> yeah, right. He went full Chris Weber. He's he's. Doing yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it all it all backfired, and really, that was probably when the when the, the tide turned. Now, and obviously. Going to the Super Bowl because of that win. And, you know, a lot of times I don't think people know this, that, you know, NFL players will live in the city where they're playing and then bolt as soon as the season's over, make a home somewhere else. Well, we have two guys on this podcast who have been lifelong Cincinnatians since their career started. Uh, you know, Anthony's from California, but been in Cincinnati ever since being drafted in 1980. And my dad has been was also from California and been in Cincinnati ever since his career started with the Bengals. And so... What you guys know, there aren't many ex players or really anyone in Cincinnati can appreciate what's happening more than you two. What has it been like the past five days just seeing the, the city celebrate the team getting to the Super Bowl? Anthony, you go first. Well, yeah, John, I don't know about Jim. Jim, you might, feel, but for me, it's not just been the last five days prior to the first playoff game against the Chiefs and, or I'm sorry, against the, uh, the Raiders on. Of course, we've been here 42 years now because Jim got here in 80. I got here in 80. And when we're out in public, we hear a lot of who days. But <laughs> prior to the Raiders game, up in, I've never heard so many who days from kids. From I mean, it doesn't matter the age. Everyone, when they see me, it's who day. So not only since we've won going to the Super Bowl, but it's been that way before the Raiders game, after that victory. before. So it, it's been this whole city has been in a buzz. And even now that we're going to the Super Bowl, man, it is going crazy. It's so much fun to be out. Uh, I'm kind of sad that the, the roads are iced over and we can't be out today because <laughs> I've, I've, I've made a point, and I have a lot, Jim knows, I have a lot of Bengal gear. I mean, I'm a hat collector, <laughs> I, and since they've won, I've worn a Bengal, something Bengals every day, and I'll continue to do that. Uh, I'll, I'm going to put Bengal polos in my bag when I go out west. I'll be, I'll be sporting the Bengal stuff even out in California. Yeah, the exciting thing I find is, we got the experience in 81 and 88, how the city responded. I mean, it was amazing. In 81, we come back from beating the Steelers to win the Central Division at that time. And there's 10,000 people at the airport yeah. meeting us. I mean, that was that just blew us away. So all we've ever wanted as former players is to have the current players get to experience what the city's like yeah. when you're going through what we went through. And they're, and they're experiencing it. But I think that win against the Raiders – I mean, that place was absolutely bonkers and yeah. it was so great. And it was like, we believe, we believe we can yeah. win. We want a playoff game. We believe in Joe Burrow. We believe in what, what Taylor's putting together. We, we starting to believe in these guys and every week they're doing something to make us believe a little bit more. You so, know, it's funny. You mentioned, if I can just add one more thing, oh, no, no, you can add you, mentioned, you, you mentioned Jim and myself living here since our career. 
One of the things, you know, doing the preseason games, I go down to camp and usually I'm asked to speak to the guys. And one of the first things I tell the team when I talk to them is that you have, as players now, exactly what Jim's talking about, I, I tell them, you have a lot of former players that live in Cincinnati and we're big fans. We want the best for you guys. And then what Jim said, we want you to experience winning, getting to the playoffs, and getting to, hopefully getting to the Super Bowl because we have a chance to experience that. And we've seen the city when that happens, and we want you guys. So I always share that with them. Big fans, guys that played here, we're rooting for you. We want the best, and we want you to experience in Cincinnati because it's such a great sports town. Well, I was going to say, it. so the like, there's a Pick 6 podcast Twitter account, right? And we don't run it. Like I don't run it. Breach John uh, breach. John doesn't run it. None of us run it. And the social media guys did a post before the season with a picture of Joe Burrow and it was like rolling into last place in the AFC North. Like, he was driving you know, a golf cart and the cop the caption said, This is the Bengals rolling in the last place. Well, for whatever reason, a lot of Bengals fans think that I wrote that like they <laughs> so like they have come after me. And, but, but, but I love it because I, I think that one of the, you know, a lot of times Browns fans get a ton of credit for being this insane, passionate fan base and lots of NFL fan bases do, but like, you know, sticking with the team, no matter what, I sort of think like Bengals fans might be underrated in that sense. And I kind of wonder what you guys are expecting to see in Los Angeles from Bengals. Fans. I mean, it's not cheap to get out there. It's not cheap to stay there, but I mean, not cheap to go to the game, not cheap to go to the game. <laughs> But I, I, you know, I always think back to the first Super Bowl that I worked with John um, in New York when you you got on the ground there, and it was see like Seahawks fans were just swarming New York City, and I sort of wonder if you guys think that Bengals fans like w- what we might get from Bengals fans out there because obviously they're going to be passionate at home. Go ahead, Anthony. One. Oh, sorry. I'll I'll go ahead and go. I I expect to see a lot of orange and black. I know. And I've been looking at prices, and of course, it's just like, wow. I'm from there. I go back there on a regular basis. Uh, I see what hotels cost. I see what flights cost. Um, So, But I still believe that there's going to be a lot of orange and black. They're going to find a way to get back there. And, I mean, it's been, what, 30-plus years. So I I think there's a lot of – I've already talked to a few people that said, you know, I'm taking my kids, and it's not just my son. It's like three or four kids. We're going back. I know it's – crazy but we're going to make it happen so i really believe there's going to be a big contingency of orange and black back there you know i look at you know during the season when they have the like the fedex air and ground and then they have the rookie of the week whenever there's a bengal up for any of those they almost win every time whether they deserve to win or not and that's a fan vote that's that's (laughs) my dad's point that's a fan vote how the fans, the Bengal fans, really follow yeah. the team. Yeah. So I I expect to be a ton of Bengal yeah. fans out there, whether they're at the game or whether they're at a bar, a Bengal bar somewhere <laughs> watching the game. And, yeah. it, you know, it's funny. The great thing about having the two of you on is because outside of Joe Burrow, I would say the two most talked about positions uh, on this team's roster this year have been the kicker and the offensive line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, Dad, let me – and for very opposite reasons. Um, but, Dad, I'll start with you because this has been the year of Evan McPherson. Just what are your thoughts on what he's been able to do in the postseason? It, you know, a history-making postseason, the most kicks without a miss. Uh, you know, hopefully that continues in the Super Bowl and and ties Adam Vinatieri's career record for most uh, games with four field goals in a playoff game. Uh, what is your take on what you've seen from him? He's my hero. What can I say? <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, he's, he's handled things so well. I, I'm just so impressed. He he obviously has a phenomenal leg, and they, they have a lot of confidence in him. But he, he steps up time and again and just does a phenomenal job. To me, when I watch him, he reminds me of Justin Tucker in Baltimore, mm. more so than anybody else in the league. So if he's anywhere near as good as Justin Tucker, which – Give him, he's got to get a number of years, certainly, but I think he is pretty close to Justin Tucker. The Bengals have a home run, and they obviously they have a home run. And I mean, do you guys, did you guys have Jim, did you turn around and or did you look at your teammates and be like, time to go to the Super Bowl, guys? Like right before you're, you're making the big kick? I mean, like- yeah, I, I was, um, 
<laughs> I was one of those guys that thought if I did that, I'd probably miss the kick. <laughs> I, I will, I'll talk about it after, but it reminds me of uh, we're playing in Atlanta in 81, and their kicker is coming out for the game winner. And it was a big deal for us to have home field advantage. Uh-huh. And he's throwing his arms up, trying to get the crowd up all fired up and everything, and then he went out and missed the, missed the kick. <laughs> so I'd rather do that afterwards, yeah. you know, when you can when you can celebrate it. Um, now, you know, you just go through your routine, and I know that's what Evan's doing, and and he's doing it extremely well. You know, he throws an offhanded remark that if he doesn't make the kick, nobody ever says anything about it. That's right. Since he made the kick, you know, the, the, co- the quarterback can talk about it, which is awesome. Well, I don't know if you heard or not, but apparently, I mean, you probably did, but apparently before he made that shot to the kick to go to the Super Bowl, you know, he didn't want to, because they were talking about in the game, uh, Nance and Romo were like, I wonder what he's going to say, Jim. And, uh, and, and apparently he didn't say anything, but then right as he's, he's lining up for the kick, Kevin uh, Huber turns around, the holder, he turns around and goes, guess we're going to the Super Bowl. And he, he, said, he said he got a little juiced up because because uh, his you know his holders doing that for him. The guy the guy is amazing. He is uh, and he's really a good kid. Texted with him a little bit and he's uh, very humble and he's very thankful for where he is and he's just doing. He, look, I mean, your rookie year to have a rookie year like this. I mean, how much fun is this? I just hope they get to experience this time and again. I hope his Sunday is as good as it's been the last three weeks. Yeah, here's a quick fun fact for both of you. The last time the Bengals played the Rams in Los Angeles, uh, both of you were on the field. The Bengals won 34 to 31 in overtime. Uh, Dad, you kicked a game-winning field goal, I believe, from like 44, 40-something yards. yards. Yeah. Left and Anthony picked you up. Yeah, that's oh, right. Way. Anthony is a foot taller than you and picked you up after you hit it. So that was before his bad shoulders and, and me fifty pounds heavier. It, was that in uh, Was that in the Coliseum? Then? <laughs> no, that was actually in Anaheim. Okay. And so we were Boomer. Boomer threw for four hundred and ninety yards that day. That was the the most until Joe Burrow threw for five twenty five this year. Oh wow! All ties together. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I was gonna, I mean, if it was in the Rose Bowl, I was gonna or if it was in the Coliseum, I was gonna ask Anthony about the Rose Bowl in nineteen eighty, but. Um, you because you had played, uh, you know, with a, what you first game of the season, you tore your knee, come back for yep. the Rose Bowl, which is you know, not exactly a thing that the kids do these days. <laughs> come back with it with it with an injured knee and yeah. play the ball game, right? Yeah, actually, the second series of, of the game, we were playing in Lubbock, Texas, and a defensive back stuck his helmet in my knee and went back to LA and went underwent my third knee operation in four years. And we had played wow. in two Rose Bowls previous, and I'd yet to play. and uh, there was no way that I was going to let Charles White, Brad Buddy, and all those guys leave without playing a Rose Bowl with them. So I was like a madman. I, you know, I had the surgery, got the backpack. I'd go from class to rehab, lifting weights. And I was married at the time. And I'd go back to the apartment, do some homework. And that was my routine. And I kept telling the guys, keep winning because I'm going to be with you at the Rose Bowl. And they were like, okay, yeah, okay, buddy. We understand. You know, <laughs> you're a little, you're, you're nuts, but uh, you're going a little too far on this. And, you know, I became the official uh spatter you know how you put the tape around i'd be at every game i'd spat the guys up i'd be on the sideline rooting for them and sure enough we won the pack 10 we're going to our third rose bowl uh and i mean i had been busting it and i had to convince john robinson about a half an hour in his office that i was ready to play and i could see where he was concerned he wanted me to come back for a red shirt year i was finishing school i didn't want no desire to go to grad school so i he goes okay okay get the okay from the doctor and you can start practicing. So I went, the doc said, there's no reason why you can't start practicing. Your left leg is the leg I had it on is now stronger than a little stronger than the right. Uh, So I got back, told Robinson that, and then he started going through the practice schedule and he says, we'll let you go through this drill, but not this drill. And after about three, I said, coach, I said, every drill you're saying I can go through is a non-contact drill. (laughs) I said, I said, no, I said, I want to earn my starting. He goes, okay, okay, just go out and go through practice. I made every practice. Um, now, I, I, my cardio was like Lance Armstrong because I was riding the bicycle every day. So I got out there. We did like 15 110s after practice. And maybe the first two days I struggled a little bit, but then I caught it and I finished all the sprints after the first couple of days. And 
starting lineup was announced January 1st, and uh, they announced number 77 starting a what tackle. And I think a lot of the fans scratched their head and said, who in the heck is that guy? He hasn't been here all year. <laughs> and uh, I played the entire game. It was Ohio State, their number one. In fact, I should say I played the whole game but two plays. I had to come out because I like I think the second series, I thought I was hyperventilating. I was so geeked <laughs> up and stuff. So I ran out, kind of took a couple deep breaths. And it's funny, the guy that took my spot for two plays was a freshman offensive lineman who's also a pro football Hall of Famer, Bruce Matthews. He came oh, in and man. played two plays. And then so I played the entire game, and uh, we drove over 80 yards to score to win the game. But, yeah, so I didn't know what was going to happen after that Rose Bowl. It was the only game I played, and then, of course, the rest is history. The Bengals uh, drafted me and gave me a chance to go to a camp. All I wanted was a chance to go to a camp to see if I could compete on the NFL level, and they gave me uh, 13 camps to, to go to. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, well, it's not over there. Mike Brown and Paul Brown are sitting at – some one of their houses watching the Rose Bowl, and all they're doing is laughing at Anthony pummeling the guy across from them, <laughs> and they're they're trying to figure out why they wouldn't want to. Because everybody said you're crazy. This guy's had three knee operations. How could you do this? And it's like, did you see what he just did? And so after they sent Forrest Greg out and and Anthony put him on his rear end, and <laughs> like, how could you not? I mean, the guy obviously. You know, 13 years later, 11 Pro Bowls, the Hall of Fame. I think they made a pretty good choice. Yeah, yeah and, and obviously the <laughs> Bengals ended up taking him with the third overall pick in 1980, and he became the best left tackle in NFL history. So that pretty much uh, tells itself. But you know what? Since we are talking to the best left tackle in NFL history, uh, it seems like a good time to get your take on the Bengals' offensive line play this year, Anthony, because it's been all over the place. It's been patchwork, but it's been, it's been like the sink, the ship where you just keep putting yeah. tape in the holes and it just, you keep sailing. Somehow you keep going without sinking. Uh, so what has your take been on just how they play the season and, and into the playoffs? John, I thought it was so good to talk about the Rose Bowl. And the <laughs> and we're just say thanks. thanks for doing the pod. I mean, doing the show and let's go, let's go enjoy the victory. Uh, and then we got to talk about the offensive line. No, I, you know, it has been, it's been uh, consistent. It's been inconsistent. Uh, the one, I think, consistent factor that I enjoy and I like is that Frank Pollock was, is there. And I think his head finally reared up on, on camera. You saw him this last week screaming and yelling at the guys, and that's just the type he is. But, uh, you know, they it's not like they have to read things or hear things. They know what has to happen. They know the task in front of them, Aaron Donald and Von Miller. And, I mean, just right down. So they know what they have to do to win the football game. I think this is going to be a key. I think – defensively, I mean, Cooper Cup is unbelievable, OBJ and Stapp, but I think we match up well with them. I just believe that we're going to have to not only physically one-on-one, -on -one, but schematically with the way we set protections, we're going to have to be able to protect and let Joe utilize. Uh, we can't have a, another nine-sack day like we did in Tennessee, even though I, looking at the game, I'm going to give three, maybe four to Joe of that, those nine, yeah. but still six sacks uh, is a lot for an offensive line. Um, so it's just going to be one of those things where they're just going to have to play out of their minds and uh, they could do it because they've done it. I mean, you know, there's been games where Joe's been, you know, clean and other games where his name tag is out on the 40 yard line after the game, <laughs> you know. And, but uh, yeah, so I, it's just it's one of those things where I hope that they can bring it together, have two weeks to, to, to work. And like I said, uh, there's there's other ways besides just saying, OK, you got him, you got him. Uh, make sure that the games, I've noticed a lot of the ETTE games, they struggle with at times, that they're going to have to be sharp. They're going to have to be disciplined. They're going to and uh, and then setting the protections uh, to, to help one guy or the other and be able, able to adjust during the game uh, and not let one guy out there all the time by himself if he's struggling. You're going to have to be able to adjust and make those adjustments. So we talk all the time about, you know, experience. I mean, you know, Guy, I mean, you guys have Super Bowl experience, right? Like, it, it, and and I think that matters. I sort of wonder because it kind of might fly under the radar with these offensive line and defensive line matchups. Um, and you know, Jim, you can go first if you want, but like, you know, the Bengals' offensive line, relatively, you know, or it really a lot of the Bengals players, relatively new. I mean, Von Miller has a Super Bowl MVP. Aaron mm -hmm. Donald has played in the Super Bowl. Jim, I guess, you know, how much do you think that will matter for the Bengals in terms of this particular game, that experience? Well, considering what they've already gone through in the playoffs and played three games and gone right down to the final gun, 
I don't think it's going to matter. Yeah, the mm-hmm. one thing I thought, and maybe you'd agree with this, Anthony, is when you're playing, so you get to go to the first round of the playoffs, and you, you're still you just continuing to play your season. I don't know that the magnitude of the game once you're in the game. Now, leading up to it, it's kind of crazy because you have so much more media and there's so much more attention. Mm-hmm. But when you actually get out in the game, and you realize mm-hmm. after you're a few minutes in, it's like, all right, this is just another game. And you kind of forget if you just go out and play your game and you kind of forget, you know, there's the Super Bowl because you just play in a game just like you played every other game. So I think I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get through the first few minutes, I think they'll be fine. Uh, But experiencing what they've already experienced, I think they they handle anything. And, you know, Burrow and and Chase, those guys play for the national championship. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been of the belief that, whether you're playing for a high school championship or college or pro, that's the biggest thing you'll ever be a part of at that time. So, so that college championship was just as big as playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So, well, you I got Prince. Hey, Jim. Yeah. To your point, Prince at right tackle, Ohio State. I mean, big. Right. Jonah Williams, Alabama. I mean, so you got guys that you know, Carmen, Clemson. I mean, so you got guys like you're saying. You know, but so much of the focus is on the skill guys. But those offensive linemen have played in big games. So, but you're right. It's the two weeks prior to the Super Bowl where, you know, people are, are pulling you here, tickets, wanting to do interviews. That's what you have to be able to handle and really keep your focus on getting ready. But once that ball's kicked off, I mean, that feels 100 yards. It's 53 yards wide. I mean, it's all the same. It doesn't matter if you're in SoFi or Paul Brown Stadium. You know, the dimensions, you know, are, are still – got to get 10 yards for a first down – uh, it's just another game. And, I mean, you can't think about because you have, you know, uh, a Von Miller. you got an Aaron Dahl. you got to think about your job and what you have to do. So our first Super Bowl, 16. Oh, actually, actually, uh, hold on, Jim. We're, we're, that's a perfect segue because we're going to talk segment. about that next. We're going right. to take a quick break. Uh, we'll talk about Super Bowl 16. We'll find out why my dad missed my birth, which may or may not have had to do with Super Bowl 16. Uh, so we'll be right back. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. <laughs> and that's the, that's the break. We, we, we build the breaks in for that. Uh, Breach, go ahead. John, John, go ahead. Sorry. That's it. That's all the break you got. Uh, all right, <laughs> welcome back. Now we are going to talk Super Bowl memories. We talked about this year's team. Now we're going to talk to Bengals Super Bowl pass, Super Bowl 16, Super Bowl 23. Uh, you know, let's go back to the very, very first one. Uh, the 1981 season, the Super Bowl played in January 1982. Uh, obviously against the 49ers. You know, you know what? We'll just start the week before that real quick, since this is a historical game. Um, first, let's start with the freezer bowl, the, the, the coldest game wind chill wise in NFL history, negative uh, 58 degrees, I believe was the wind chill. You, you know, I think Anthony was out there with no sleeves. My dad's trying to kick a football <laughs> that felt like a rock. What were your guys's memories of playing in the coldest game, essentially in NFL history, Anthony, you're, you're sleeveless. You go first. I just remember uh, Max Montoya and I roomed together. And my job game day was to open the curtains and to give a weather report. You know, hey, (laughs) I opened the curtains that morning. I said, Max, blue skies, the sun is out. It's a great day for football. (laughs) Little did we know that my car couldn't turn over. I was going to leave it at the hotel at the Marriott up on Chester Road and that it would be the coldest game on record. And I'll tell you what, it was crazy. Uh, And I remember we we gathered as an offensive line. And mainly, you know, you got your tailored jerseys, 
so the defense can't grab it. And then you wear sleeves, and that gives them material to grab. So we decided it's cold, but we can't wear sleeves. We can't give them material to grab. And people ask me after the fact, did you guys do that to have a psychological edge? And I'm like, you know me. You think I'm top thinking psychology going into a football game? <laughs> then I say, but when it was all said and done, after we started, I think it did become a psychological edge. And we, uh, it was just, I tell people it was painfully cold. I don't know how this guy here kicked the football. I don't know how Kenny Anderson threw the football, but they did it effectively and we won the game. Now, you did put Vaseline all over your arms, or didn't you? You were allowed to do but that. But it didn't help. But it did a pre-game, we did a pregame warm-up, and it didn't help. So I just like, what the heck? It did. Yeah, we thought it was going to help, but it didn't help. Because they will, they allow them these days to put Vaseline on their arms. So obviously, it's not doing very much. So, uh, uh, Jim, could you could you uh, expound on the whole uh, not not you know not sticking around for John being uh, well. The AFC championship was on January 10th and I was born on January 13th. All right. Now you can, you can take it away. Dad. Let me, let me back up. And so I, I was riding with Jack Thompson. I ridden to the air, to the uh, hotel the night before with Anthony, we were living in the same complex, but I rode in with Jack Thompson because Jack and I were rooming together. Well, just like Anthony's car, his car wouldn't start either. <laughs> so everybody's just kind of trying to find a way to get down to the stadium. I and mean, we're, we're scrounging, right? So we go back in the inside the hotel and we start asking around. We find a waitress and it's like, did you drive here this morning? By the way, this is you guys are playing in the AFC championship right. game. And cannot get to the, the game. Yeah. We, Imagine that score today, like uh, the kicker gets a ride with the local waitress to the AFC championship game. <laughs> so this waitress says, Yeah, I drove here this morning. Can you give us a ride to the stadium? Like <laughs> I guess so. She has a Camaro. So we pile pile in. And I think there was one other guy with us. I can't remember. But Jack gets up in the front seat with her, and she starts driving. And by this time, you know, if we're late, we get fined 50 bucks, and Forrest Gregg's (laughs) going to go crazy for guys showing up late. Jack's like, can you drive a little bit faster? She says, well, I I don't want to get ticks. He goes, pull over. I'm driving. So they switch. <laughs> Jack flies from there. Gets us. We get there just a few minutes before 11 o'clock. So about 10 years ago, Jack's back in town. We go have lunch. <clears throat> we go to the, the maitre d' at this restaurant. She looks at Jack and she says, are you Jack Thompson? <laughs> says, yeah. Just, he goes, my daughter's the one that took you down to the stadium on that at the freezer bowl. Wow, that's hilarious. Wasn't that great? So we <laughs> get to wild. the stadium. We get to the stadium, and it's we're trying to figure out what to wear, right? Because you got to cover every part of your body. So guys are running around. You can't wear long johns because that's that's slow you down. Okay for practice, but not for the game. So pretty soon, this big old couple big old boxes come sliding out in the middle of the floor. The guys are like, what is that? Tom Gray opens them up and it's pantyhose. <laughs> pantyhose. I wore two pair of pantyhose. And I had to cut the feet out because I was sliding around in them. I'll tell you what, they saved, they saved my legs that day. Because it's not like what you have today with all these different yeah. high-tech things. That was as high-tech. That, that was your Under Armour in 1981. No, but the best yes. part was trying to see some of those defensive linemen pull those pantyhose on i wish that's when you wish you had cameras you know then <laughs> this i mean I, it really is i mean i know that like football is very different back then but it is like insane to imagine can you imagine joe burrow not being at arrowhead on time and he has to go down to the waffle house or whatever they have in kansas city and be like hey uh, are you joe burrow yeah i can be right and then toss it on some pantyhose that's that's yeah. incredible what what about so after the game yeah, we go to the airport. My dad was out for the for both games, Buffalo, and then the Freezer Bowl, which we spent all day Saturday running around downtown trying to find him some warm clothing, and somehow he stuck it out. I don't I don't know how he did. I don't know how anybody wow, in the stands crazy. stuck it out. We had the heated benches. I think that might have been the first time heated benches were used. There's a great story with Kenny Anderson. He's got his feet in the heated benches because that's how you get the air going. <laughs> And, and something happens, there turnovers, and he jumps up. His foot gets caught. He, he goes face first. Boom. He said he started seeing stars. 
He's almost not. He, he would have been a concussion protocol today. <laughs> what I mean, how about the difference in the Super Bowl now? For you know, same sort of thing. Like you know, back then, obviously the Super Bowl was a big deal. It's a Super Bowl, right? But now it's like, I mean, wow. uh, we. I mean, John and I have probably been to what, like eight, nine of these things, and they've gotten bigger and bigger over the last decade or so. What, what's the difference that you? I mean, how big of a difference is it from? What what the whole spectacle was in 1980 versus what it is now? Well, you go out well, how about year. hey Jim? How about our tickets to twenty three hundred dollars? Yeah, <laughs> I just I just read this morning a thirty second commercial, six point five million dollars, and they're sold out. Yeah, that, yeah. But the events, the you guys, the parties, the events, and of course, COVID's kind of put a damper on a lot of that. But once it comes back, I mean. There's so many people that go to the Super Bowl site just to enjoy all the festivities and then watch the game at a bar or something. But it's just and then, of course, the media outlets and the social. I mean, it's just the coverage is just over the top and the events around it. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh, by the way, there's a game Sunday. <laughs> right. I mean, did you guys like what was the week of the Super Bowl like in 19 in the, in the 80s? I mean, I mean, it can't have, you know, now it feels like the, the teams are very, you know, it's probably. Uh, a result of incidents that have occurred in the past, but it feels like the guys are pretty isolated now. Versus well, and real quick before they answer that question, Super Bowl 16. So they went from the negative 58 degrees in Cincinnati. They beat the Chargers 27 to seven. Super Bowl 16 was the first cold weather Super Bowl location. It was played in Detroit. Uh, so, you know, you guys, it's not like you have a beach to look forward to going to. So what was the the preparation like? Let me finish it, the story about John's birth. Though. Okay, there, this <laughs> yeah, is a good lead up to that. To, <laughs> we, we fly back to the Bay Area. And Forrest Greg said, nobody misses Wednesday's meeting. Nobody. you got to be back for Wednesday's meeting. So I had two days for John to be born. And my, my mom is in California at this time. She's in and, California. And, I have right. Monday, Tuesday. So, it's, so I take the red eye Tuesday night. I fly all night. I get in at like 7 in the morning, whatever it was, 6 or 7 in the morning. I go right to practice. And I haven't heard anything. Go to practice. I come home. Jim Hanula was my roommate. He had had knee surgery. So I walk in the door. He says, congratulations, you have a new baby boy. So <laughs> Wednesday, somewhere while I was flying or at practice, John was born. And I made it back for practice on time. But we had several guys that didn't make it because there were some weather issues. I made it cross country. Some other guys lo- you know, closer by didn't make it back in time. And Force was yelling at everybody. And he, did, he didn't want to get Forrest mad. No, nope, not at all. <laughs> and 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 to, in your defense, I, I've always said that you know if you're you know look what John, what are you the you're the the fourth kid, fourth kid, first yeah. kid's fourth different, kid, fourth kid, fourth kid. You make sure you get to practice. Is, so the thing is, today you don't miss a birth, right? I mean, you miss games. In those days, you were expected to do your job. You would go to the game. The one before Ruthie, before John, I. My wife called at 10 o'clock in the morning at the stadium or at the hotel. And she says, I'm going into labor. I mean, Sunday morning and we're playing the Seahawks. I was with the Raiders then. If we win the game, we're in the playoffs. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So fortunately, her her sister was going to be with her. I went to the stadium. (laughs) I played because that was I mean, what do you do? There was no other. Ray Guy had a uh, had a bad knee. He had Carly's problem. His knee, he could barely punt. He couldn't kick. There was nobody to kick off. There was nobody else to kick. So at halftime, I called the I called the hospital, and I said, "I do any news?" He said, "Well, if you hurry, if you hurry, you can you can you can be on. You can still make it." I said, "Well, I got another half to play." <laughs> and then in the fourth quarter, an announcement comes over that I have a new baby girl over oh, the uh, intercom at. At uh, Oakland Coliseum at the time. So they announced it to like the stadium. They're yeah, like, congratulations yeah. to Jim. That's amazing. 2,000 people knew that uh, Ruthie was born. Well, you know, the crazy thing is you could have just lied to me and said you were, I, I never would have known the difference. <laughs> okay. yeah. So, Or you could have done what Anthony did and have, have, you know, I know his son, Michael is my age and he has a summer birthday, right? That's yeah. He, he uh, actually, well, here's the crazy thing about Michael. We had, so he was born actually the first day of camp, which he was supposed to. He was supposed to come a week earlier, but didn't. So I and that I was left the 81 my car season. With, I left my car with Didi, 
because her mom was out. So I drove up to Wilmington with Max. And that morning I said, Max, let me just put my key, your keys in my pocket just in case. So we had just gone into our team meeting on Friday night. There's a knock on the door. It's Tom Gray. He looks at me and he goes, and I knew exactly. So I got in Max's truck. I drove down 71. Thank God I wasn't. I made it from Wilmington College to St. E's in Northern Kentucky in about a half an hour and was there for the birth. I hit a lump. I hit a bump in the road and I thought my head was going to go through the ceiling, but I made it. So I made it for his birth. And then Michelle was in the off season. But yeah, we were close to, at least it was camp. Forrest let me take that that night and spend the night and miss that first day of practice. So that was kind of him. See, Dad, that's smart planning. Two kids in the offseason, five years, six kids were dead in the middle of the that's season. Right. I know. I know. What can I say? I, yeah. So real quick, we'll do Super Super Bowl 16 real quick with, you know, 26-21 loss. We all know that. You fell behind 20 nothing. I guess I'll just, you know, there aren't many uh, super fantastic memories for Bengals fans. So I'll just ask you, uh, Dad, on your end, opening kickoff of the game. This is one of my favorite stories. You're out. Uh, that's probably not your favorite story that – you go out there. This this if this is on TV. If this happens uh, in Super Bowl Sunday this year, uh, this will be like the trending on Twitter. Uh, number one, you kick the opening kickoff out of bounds, but then they have yeah. you re-kick it, and then the 49ers fumble it, and the Bengals recover. Is that is that go through that? Go through that. Yes. Well, so we're so we're kicking off, and we always tried to kick it left to kind of hem them into a corner, and I pulled it a little bit, and the ball about boom goes out of bounds. Unlike today, where it comes out to the 40-yard line, you had to re-kick it. So we took five yards. I re-kick it. We tackle them on the 25-yard line. They fumble. <clears throat> so I kind of made up for it. You know, I. the worst part is. You, you put the knuckleball on it so they'd fumble. The worst part is these guys have to run down all the way down the field. Oh, man. And they have to turn around and come back and do it again. And they're like, don't be kicking them out of bounds anymore. So it worked <laughs> out. And then, unfortunately – about third down, I think Kenny threw an interception to Man. White Hicks. That what he wasn't even supposed to be there. He he, he just jumped the route. He wasn't. He was he was out of position, but he he guessed and he guessed right. And then I guess that that was the the low point of the first half and the low point of the second half. Uh, Anthony, you could probably walk us through this one. The Bengals maybe could have come back third quarter, the goal line stand. You guys are at the one yard line, four chances to punch it in. Uh, you know, the 49ers obviously stopped you guys. What, what do you remember of that sequence in that situation? Well, I think we have to add a little more to that first half, that interception, of course, there's two squib kicks that gave them two field goals to take a 20 nothing lead. And that, that really hurt the two squib kicks that we could not feel, but we came out the second half, and we pretty much were dominating the game. I mean, I think at one point we had eight to ten first downs. They didn't have any. I mean, we were just rolling. And then, you know, we're down. And we had the ball on the one-yard line. I mean, four cracks at the one-yard line. And if I was a betting man with Pete Johnson as a fullback, I would have put a lot of money to say we would either <laughs> scored on the first or second down. And, and just the breakdowns we had. I mean, a guy in motion misses a guy coming off the corner. Uh, and, okay, here, how about this? You got a 200 – what was Alexander? 235, Jim? Yeah. You have a, a flare pass, and you have a linebacker, and it might have – I don't know. He might be a great guy, but was that the only play that Dan Bunch made in his career when he hit <laughs> Charles Alexander and took him straight down? Charlie hit somebody, and he usually falls forward a yard or two. And and then, of course, the other two four, – four cracks at the one-yard line, and that was really all they needed. They, they All they did was kick two field goals in the second half, and they ended up winning, but it was those two squib kicks that really, and then the goal line stance, and, and that was, you know, you see Jack Reynolds and Ronnie Lott and those guys and Dwayne Board. I mean, it was, that's still, you know, that's still the nightmare of the of the game. You know, on that play with uh, Charlie, when they ran the bootleg, and Charlie, he's supposed to go into the end zone about a yard, um, and, he, and he turned up just in, in yeah. front of the end zone. And the throw, yeah. Kenny's throw. I mean, all these things have to work together, right? Yeah. Kenny's throw was, a, instead of being out in front of him where his momentum could take him in, it was behind him a little bit. So he had to turn around so he didn't have any momentum to run over Vines. Yeah. So several years ago, I'm out in Sacramento. I traveled the farthest to go. This it was My former roommate, when I was with the Raiders, he had a ministry. 
in a golf tournament raising money. So a bunch of guys were there and they had to sign these helmets. And Dan Buns was there <laughs> and on it. He puts, talk about his only play, the stop. Oh, oh wow. For the stop. And that was the play stopping Charles Alexander on the half yard line. Dan Buns drives around in a Camaro and his license plate is like the stop or something. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. But I mean, what can we say? I mean, he made the play. The stop sign by his house. He he painted. The <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a picture of Dan Bonds. <laughs> like, no, I mean, you know, you look at sixteen. We get out there, and it's like it was at the freezer bowl. I mean, it's, it's probably twenty five below. Yeah. The parking lot is all ice. Yeah, and we can't go. We literally can hardly move. So we we go, and I was rooming with Chris Collinsworth. So. We're stuck in our rooms, and pretty soon, so a week a week before, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I'm I'm his secretary. I mean, the phone is ringing like, it, yes, uh, uh, is Chris Collinsworth there? Is Chris there? Oh, this is uh, I'm a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. Oh, I've got a limo outside. I'd like to take Chris out. I mean, this went on. And fortunately for him, he just kind of stayed there and laughed. He didn't he didn't do anything. But I bet I took. 50 calls from women wanted, <laughs> wanted to have a date with Chris Collinsworth. And that, but my, my favorite story. So this is when I was still drinking beer. Occasionally we go to a bar. It's Chris Turk Schoenert and me. So we're at this bar. I'm over playing pinball. Some guy walks up to Chris. Now Chris is six, five. I'm five, six. Right? <laughs> he walks up to Chris. He says, Hey, are you Jim breach? <laughs> Chris says, what? No. Guy leaves. A few minutes later, he walks back. Are you Jim Breach? And Chris says, no, he's over there. So he comes walking over as I'm playing pinball. He looks at me, he says, are you Jim Breach? I look, I said, yeah. He looks at me, he says, no way, you're too small. And he leaves. <laughs> That's good. And by the way, my dad is five foot six. Anthony's a full foot taller. Anytime you see them next to each other on the football field, it is a hilarious dynamic. And, and also like that, that, that foot as someone who is also in that same range as, as Jim, uh, it, it feels more like three and a half feet when you, when you're looking at someone who's six, six. Well, I spent my whole life in these locker rooms and you know, I, no wonder I have a crick in my neck from what I look up to talk to anybody. Uh, yeah. So Super Bowl 16, that was John Madden's first uh, Super Bowl as a commentator and a very, very interesting game, but not as crazy as your guys' second Super Bowl, Super Bowl 23. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of nuts because leading up to that game, I mean, you guys, there were riots in Miami near the hotel. So you guys had like, did you, did you have like a curfew? Like what were the rules leading up to the game uh, when you guys were down there? Anthony, you go first. Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing. You could look out the window and you saw fires, you know, because they were burning and stuff. And I mean, we, I remember my family was there. We pretty much, you know, guys knew where to hang out, where not to hang out. I didn't really go around that because I had family from California and I had my immediate family. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was pretty intense, that, that whole city, you know, with the riots and you saw things burning in the city. Uh, but, yeah, it was um, – it was a lot nicer than Pontiac, that's for sure. <laughs> 80 degrees. Uh, it was nice to go to practice and just wear a jersey, not have to bundle up. But even though we're indoors in Pontiac, you still bundled up on your way there. But, you know, it was the weather was nicer, but you had a lot of tension, a lot of uh, things going on in the city that weren't very nice. So just looking at our hotel room, you could see the fires. I mean, they yeah. were maybe a mile away, less than a mile from our yeah. hotel. I remember um, somebody sent me one of those tins of popcorn yeah. and sitting outside my door and I get back and I've got a note. So I, I'm supposed to check with security and security. I checked with security and said, uh, what's going on? Well, uh, somebody sent you popcorn, but we thought it was kind of suspicious. So we went and blew up your popcorn. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> they blew it up. They thought it was a bomb. Or they, wow. they brought the bomb squad in and they took care of it. But yeah, I never did get whoever sent me the popcorn. I appreciate it, but I never got any of it. That is yeah, nuts. The Tuesday of, of that week, 
we had uh, about 10 or 12 guys go play golf and we jump in a bus and we've got a police escort. So here we are, 10 or 12 guys in this bus, police escort, people are moving off the road so we can go play golf. It's like, wow, <laughs> this is crazy. But Anthony, didn't isn't that when you went deep sea diving and Wendell? And why don't you Did tell them that story about Wendell? <laughs> no, that that was in Hawaii. This was oh, that was a pro. This one, uh, Bruce Kazurski and I got a boat, went out uh, tarpon fishing. We didn't catch anything, but it was. I tell you what, it was really relaxing, man. We just laid there, and there was another boat that caught a tarpon, so we got to see what it looked like. But we went out for a couple hours tarpon fishing, just Kaz and I, and it was uh, it was a nice getaway. Those those police escorts, man, are, are something else. We I remember my first Super Bowl was in Dallas for the Packers Steelers, and you know that, all the ice around Dallas, which Texans have you know no idea how to deal with, and they had us on a bus, all these media members on a bus with a police escort, forcing Dallas residents to pull off on the side of the road in the ice, and they're you know, they're like like who's this the King of England? It's like no, actually it's a it's a it's a CBS like CBS bloggers, like it's it's nobody, like it's a media bus. Yeah, you know what's funny is. It's one thing to be on the bus as being escorted, but I, I experienced in the last two years getting down to the Bengal Stadium just as the visiting <laughs> team's coming by and, and the traffic is all stopped. So you get all backed up waiting yeah. for the bus to go by. So I, I've been on both sides. I prefer <laughs> the one with the escort. Definitely. And, and you guys, that, that was a whole wild thing, not just the riots, but obviously the night before the game, Stanley Wilson has a drug situation. So one of your starting fullback basically can't play, you know, which is just unheard of for something like that to happen the night before Super Bowl. Did you guys think that had like an emotional impact or, or maybe just an impact of losing, uh, you know, a lead blocker for your, your, your Icky Woods and for your running backs? What kind of impact did you guys think that had on the game, Anthony? Well, I, offensively, you know, we really didn't look at him as a lead blocker because he ran the offense as well as Icky and, and JB. I mean, he was – he was a big part of what we did offensively carrying the football in addition to, to being a, a pretty good blocker. Uh, you know, anytime one of your teammates, you know, your brotherhood goes through something like that, yeah, it's going to affect you. I mean, you know, you want to play in the biggest game, you know, the Super Bowl, but man, you know that, that that drug, that disease got him and it got him that night. And you just, you know, you think about it and it, and it is, it was a big emotional blow, uh, you know, because, it's just like, here's a guy that has struggled with it, and it, it got him the night before the biggest game in, in anybody's football career, playing in the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I thought, uh, and again, you know, we still had JB and, and Icky, but, you know, as an offensive line, we didn't play that well to begin with. Uh, but, you know, I think having Stanley would have added to our offensive firepower, and the guy was an amazing running back. So you got to imagine, he was tested three times, two or three times a week from like the previous February yeah. all the way through the season up until that happens the night before the game. Right. So we're in a special teams meeting. So we had moved hotels. So, and it was, it wasn't easy finding these rooms. So guys straggled in a little bit late we're sitting in there and it's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And finally we get started with the, with the meeting. And then a few minutes later, here comes Sam walking in. And Sam is up there and he's crying. He said, Stanley didn't make it. Stanley didn't make it. He had a relapse. Mm. And it was like, wow. But the other part is you almost have to kind of compartmentalize it because you still have to go out and play yeah. the next day. So we wanted to do as much as we could to win the game. And Stanley would have been a huge, huge part of it. The unfortunate thing is he has struggled with that uh, yeah. from then on. So, uh, you know, obviously everybody outside of Cincinnati remembers this as the Joe Montana, John Taylor. I saw John Candy in the end zone. I threw a 10-yard touchdown pass to win the game. Anthony, what was your – like, what do you remember most from the Super Bowl? You know, second half, you had to feel pretty strongly that you guys could – that was a team you could beat despite the fact they have future Hall of Famers like Jerry Rice. They have a collection. You guys have one, you – uh, you know, so, you know, how were you feeling in the second half of that game? Well, we might only have one Hall of Famer, but I thought we matched up talent wise. I mean, any 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 position, we were very talented. Uh, you know, our defense had given up a lot of yards, but really held them from getting into the end zone. I think Jerry Rice had over 200 yards. So you're expecting him to make the catch. And again, you know, we moved the ball and, you know, we're probably, 
doing this this interview here with the the uh, MVP of the Super Bowl. If we hold on, your your dad, Jim. But um, it was just you know ninety two yards and three minutes left. You're thinking, okay, they've moved the ball, but you know maybe our defense and, and you're sitting there thinking, man, if I only had some pass rushing skills, then I could get in there and help our guys. But you know it was you're, you're helpless as an offensive player because you're you're sitting there watching. You know, John, Joe Montana and those guys moved down. And, I mean, the guy that you least expect to catch the ball, John you know, John Taylor makes a catch, and it's like, wow. And it, it was like a dagger going in, even though we had 34 seconds, not a whole lot of time, uh, that they score going 92 yards. So it, it, it was uh, – the closer they got, the more you think, okay, well, hopefully they score and we get more time than just 34 seconds. And, and it's crazy because you mentioned Dan Buns earlier. That was the play of his career. You know, if, if you ask him the highlight of his career, it's that play. And I'm sure if you ask John Taylor. The only the, catch he had that game. These, yeah. these two guys come up with one huge play. And, and, Dad, you know, Anthony just mentioned that you probably win the MVP. Three field goals. The last one with just over three minutes left. You put the 40 or you put the Bengals up 16 to 13 over the 49ers. And, and Boomer has said as much too. I either on his radio show or uh, inside or, the NFL. He said inside it, yeah. the NFL that, that Jim would have been the MVP. So what's your, what's your mindset? You know, we've seen Evan McPherson kick so many big kicks and we talk about kickers a lot on this show. Uh, but, but you know, what are you thinking? What's going through your head when you're trying a kick with three minutes left in the Super Bowl that's going to put your team ahead and might win you the game. So, Right before we leave for the Super Bowl, Tiger Johnson was our special one of our special teams because he helped in different special teams. And he's telling a story about 1982 when he was coaching Detroit. And they got a bonus if they go to the NFC Championship game. And Eddie Murray missed the field goal that would have put him in the NFC Championship game. And as he starts talking about Eddie Murray, he just he just starts kind of goes off. He starts spitting and, <laughs> he, and, he, and it just every, every naked, every customer you can think of starts coming. And the more he talks about it, the angrier he gets and he's going on and on about Eddie Murray and taking my $25,000 out of my pocket. So I'm standing aside. I, I hear, I hear Sam say, let's make sure we get the field goal out of this. And right. It just pops in my, normally I don't do this pops in my head. Man, if I miss this kick, Tiger's going to be pissed. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, put, I had to put that out of my head really quickly. But, um, you know, I went out there, and the funny thing was where I kicked it from, I hit a few balls from almost the identical spot the day before. I'm like, I've been here. I've done this. The, the thing was, it was really a windy night. The uh, goalpost, which way I was kicking, the net had got caught up in the goalposts in warm-ups. So there was some wind involved, and I played it like right center, and it, it kind of moved left, came in nicely. I come running off the field, and I, you know, I kind of high five them guys. And Chris Collinsworth comes up, he says, "Hey, great kick." He says, "Too much time for 16," and I've been thinking that too. And and again, I mean, they got to go 92 yards, right? And he, and any defense out there is gonna say, "Yeah, we can stop them." So the way I look at this, it took. One of the greatest quarterbacks, one of the greatest receivers, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the league to beat us in those last 34 seconds. Yep, exactly. I mean, probably, probably top, I mean, I mean, top uh, number one receiver of all time. Probably, I mean, definitely a top three coach and probably a top three, if not top two quarterback. I mean, that's a pretty ridiculous yep. combination. Yeah, but we did have the MVP quarterback that year in Boomer. That's right. So it wasn't yeah. like we didn't match up pretty well. We had some great receivers. Eddie Brown was phenomenal and, you know, Chris was still playing well. So yeah, we, we, we matched up. Rodney really Holman well as good as they get a tight end. Oh yeah. I mean, are these Super Bowls, you know, the bottom line is they just come to, I mean, uh, football comes down to very small moments in key yeah. plays. I mean, Tom Brady could be one and eight in the Super Bowl and, or, you know, I mean, nine and oh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy, you know, and I would imagine that this coming Super Bowl is going to come down to some, you know, some small moments, some, some key decisions. Uh, what, what do you guys, Anthony, I'll start with you. What, you know, I mean, we don't really need you to make a pick because we know who you're going to pick, but like, I'm just, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm curious. So how do you think the game plays out? And what do you, you know, what, if you were picking like a final score or, uh, well, I mean, I've talked about it. I mean, it all depends on how we do up front. Um, I mean, I, I really think if we do, we can score 28 on these guys. I really do. And I, 
I, I've been saying I'm going to go, you know, I usually don't do very well, but I'm going to say 28-24 Bengals. Ooh, I like it. Dad? I expect it to be probably a three or four. You know, it's going to be a close game. Um, and now, you know, Bengals, I don't know about a score. I think it's going to be similar to maybe that with Anthony saying, but maybe even a little lower, The yeah. you know, something 24-21, 24-20, maybe even 2017, like the uh, game they had against the 49ers. It's, you know, it's, it's so hard to tell. And then, you know, they're pretty good. Both had good defense. Sometimes you have a breakout game all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, the offenses go crazy or maybe vice versa. So I just think either way it goes, it's going to be a close game. Uh, and, and, and by the way, two, uh, two NC State guys, Jermaine Pratt, BJ Hill, making plays for that, uh, absolutely. that NC defense. We'll get you out here. Two quick questions real quick. You mentioned Chris Collinsworth, Dad. He is going to be on the call Sunday for NBC. Have either of you guys uh, talked to him at all this week or exchanged text messages or anything? I have not. No. No. And, you know, it's funny. People give him a lot of heat here in Cincinnati because they say he's really negative. And then you sit here, other people saying he's too positive for, you know, no matter what he does, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not going to be right. But, you know, people say some of the former players are hard on the team. All we care about is that they win. And if we're talking about the team, all we're doing is by observation, what we're seeing. Right. We're not, we're not saying this guy's bad or this guy's not. All we're saying is this is what we're seeing. And, what we're seeing right now is awesome. And then last last one. Were you guys secretly hoping that the Bengals were going to play the 49ers? Not me. <laughs> I, and I, no, for no other reason. I just wanted them to get there and play whoever won and, and win the game. That's That was my thinking. I, you know, if it was close to, you know, and the DeBartolos were still owners and, you know, some of the players, maybe, yeah. But, I mean, it's a different ownership. It's it's a different regime. So I just, I was just rooting for them to get there and whoever got there on the NFC, that was fine with me. Yeah. You texted me, asked me what percentage of one from one to 10. I think I said a three that I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to play somebody else. But then the more I thought about it, I said, well, like Anthony's saying first get there. And if yeah. they get there, I don't care who they play. And yeah, obviously it's going to be the Rams, which is, you know, with Whitworth there oh, and, yeah, the and, and, and Taylor, connection so it works out pretty well yeah all right guys I had, a, I had a big bet before the playoffs on the Bengals 49ers Super Bowl, so I'm, I'm extremely disappointed uh, oh, right. one more do you think anyone on this Cincinnati team will bust out the icky shuffle if they score a touchdown maybe well you know did you see when Joe gave icky a hug after the game no, I missed that you the, the, that? the Chiefs he game gave right a half shuffle I oh, he did? the yeah. highlight Watch the highlight when they hug on this. Uh, <laughs> Joe Burrow gave it a half shuffle. You got to oh, check, check it out. That out. Right. So he might he might bust it out. That, that's good on him for knowing his Bengals football history and and busting it out halfway. So now we got to oh, cheer yeah. for a Joe Burrow QB sneak into the end zone. Guys, uh, thank you so much for coming on. That is Pro Football Hall of Famer, best left tackle of all time, Anthony Munoz. And my dad, Bengals all-time wing scorer, Jim Breach for Will Brinson. I am John Breach. We have so much Super Bowl content coming uh, over the next week. Talk to you guys later. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.